0: Is the bloody disgusting podcast network.
1: Well, well, well. Hi there.
2: And ghouls. lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. Bloody disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast: horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio.
3: Hey, it's Trevor. and On behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome home to your Boo Crew. If you like what you are hearing and you haven't done so already, we'd really appreciate it so much if you subscribe to the show, rate, and write us a quick review. It keeps the episode's coming and helps us be discovered by even more like-minded horror fiends. Hope you're feeling good and that you've been watching some great horror and getting your holiday watch list ready, your best of the year list too as we look back and get ready for the quickly approaching holiday season at time of release on a festive episode 366. We go back just a couple of weekends to our panel at Midsummer Screams Season Screamings that went down at the Pasadena Convention Center. Just the coolest holiday horror con out there. We were so fortunate to host some great friends of ours and a few brand new ones for the Flanniverse reunion. Made up of actors Kate Siegel, Annabeth Gish, Henry Thomas, filmmaker Axel Carolyn and writer-director Mike Flanagan. If you were there, thank you so much for having joined us and if you missed it, we are re-gifting you the full conversation in its entirety. Hear about how some of the Fam has come together over the years to become part of one of the most poignant and impactful creative collectives in storytelling. projects, including The Haunting of Hill House, Midnight Mass, *Doctor Sleep, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Club, and more. Take a look at some of the unforgettable moments from their stunning catalog through perspectives you've never heard before, and an exclusive look at the fall of the House of Usher and the absolutely thrilling things to come. Special thanks to David Markland and Rick West for putting this entire thing together. Pillars of the L.A. Haunt and Horror Community. So, pull up an ice block and lend an ear to episode 366 and the Flanniverse reunion panel from Midsummer Screams, Season Screamings,
2: now slaying. Go ahead, Scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Welcome to Season Screamings and welcome to the Flanniverse. Please welcome to the stage the hosts of Bloody Disgusting's The Boo Crew podcast, Leo D'Antonio and Lauren and Trevor Shand.
4: Hey, how's how's everyone doing? Happy holidays and season screamings. My name is Leo. I'm Lauren.
5: And check one, two, my name's Trevor. And uh, thank you guys everybody for coming. We're Bloody Disgusting's Brew Crew, part of the Bloody FM podcast network available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to what we're calling the Flanniverse Reunion panel here at Season Screamings. So this is really a celebration, not only of the horror genre at its most potent and poignant, but of filmmaking at its very, very best. Uh, It is also a story of family. The creators we're joined by today have collectively and individually made an indelible mark on every single one of us here in this room. Uh, We're going to introduce everybody, first of all. Her early roles include the absolute classics Mystic Pizza, Shag the Movie, followed by countless unforgettable performances and the greatest stories ever told. The Oscar-nominated Wyatt Earp, Oliver Stone's four-time Oscar-nominated Nixon with Sir Anthony Hopkins, SLC Punk, the 26-time Emmy-winning West Wing, 16-time Emmy-winning X-Files, and more. Her projects with Mike Flanagan include Before I Wake, The Haunting of Hill House, and Midnight Mass, an evocative performer who understands the subtleties and even the most complicated characters. It is the brilliant Annabeth Gish. Right there is fine, yeah. Next up, we have a a multi-award-winning and Mary Shelley award-winning writer-director whose work includes Being also in the writer's room of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, American Horror Story, Creepshow, the sickest nominated Soulmate, and her feature The Manor, an extraordinary voice who truly lives and breathes a genre of horror like no one else. And her history with Mike includes Haunting of Bly Manor and Midnight Club. We welcome
3: Axel Carolyn. (laughs)
5: At the age of nine years old, he starred in one of the greatest films of all time, Steven Spielberg's four-time Oscar-winning E.T. Now, since then, it's been a cavalcade of iconography, continuing to build the best cinematic memories for all of us and instilling his work into culture truly forever. Among them, Cloak and Dagger, the Oscar-winning Legends of the Fall, Suicide Kings, a five-time Emmy-winning Moby Dick, Scorsese's 10-time Oscar-nominated Gangs of New York, and many more, his cadence, manipulation relation of tonality and a warming, gentle sense of sensitivity make his performances thought-provoking, heartbreaking, and inspiring all at once. His path through Flanagan's work includes Ouija Origins of Evil, Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Hill House, Doctor's Sleep, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and Midnight Club. He is Henry Thomas. When this next actor takes on a character, she loves it so deeply and surrenders herself so much to the story that the audience cannot help but to fall completely into the experience. With a background in theater, she went from Shakespeare to Emmy-nominated TV like The Numbers, Castle, and Ghost Whisperer. Then came the multi-award-winning feature Hush, a movie she also co-wrote in which she delivered a portrayal of the lead Maddie that was simply mesmerizing. She can most recently be seen in Netflix's Hypnotic, HBO Max as a time traveler's wife, and her work with Mike includes not only Hush but Oculus, Gerald's Game, Ouija Origins of Evil, Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, At Midnight Mass. She is the one and only Kate
2: Siegel
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: <That's it. laughs>
5: And last and certainly not least, with over 35 awards and an ever-growing catalog that is tremendously insightful and deeply unsettling, he's crafted something blissfully unique to his work, the terrifying poetry of nightmares wrapped in the mystique of possibilities built on the reverence of the past. It is shockingly original, purposeful, and beautiful. You've already heard the list of titles for the past few minutes here. His continuing and stunning legacy, and you've already been introduced to just some of the people closest to him in his life that he entrusts to empower his dreams and to inspire all of us, an expanding troop of creators and collaborators that he challenges in exciting ways. And there's many more that aren't up here still. We are honored to welcome the one and only Mike Flanagan. Thank you guys all for being here today. Thank you for sitting out here and being with us. And uh, Mike and crew, thank you for all that you do. We're going to start with uh, Axel. Talk about your journey into this family. Is this on? I think it's on, yeah. (laughs) Yay,
6: awesome. Um, You know, the first time I met Mike was actually at a convention pretty much exactly like this. We were on a panel. Actually, it was you and it was Sandy King, who I worked with a couple of years ago. And it was the first time I met both of you. I think it
1: was in this room possibly it was
6: here <laughs> Yes, um, yeah and then Mike very nicely said he'd seen my first feature Soulmate and he was like I really liked it and I'm like no one's seen Soulmate You're, this is bullshit um, but it wasn't somehow <laughs> because a couple of years later Mike called me and said he had a, an episode of Haunting of Bly Manor that he wanted me to direct and, um, and then I got to do that and it was wonderful it was just the most amazing out of nowhere beautiful gift
5: Mike, going to you on Excel. what about her galvanized you in meeting her, and then what she showed you she could do on VLY? On
1: oh, she's a real filmmaker, you know, and it, it was obvious the first time I saw her work. Um, I meet a lot of filmmakers because I try to watch as much as I possibly can. Um, I consider it a big part of my job uh, to be out there watching movies and seeing what else people are doing in the field. Um, Axel has a, an, an encyclopedic knowledge of the horror genre, um, and that was evident. Uh, and yeah, she was excited and available for *Blind Manor, um, and because she did such a great job, she directed the episode uh, The Romance of Certain Old Clothes in, in *Blind Manor with, with Kate and, and Katie Parker, um, which is a real standout episode for that, for that series. Um, because she did such a great job, it was a no-brainer to,
5: to have her back. And Annabeth, tell us how you got into the fold.
7: Oh, goodness. Um, Well, it's interesting because I can... Henry and I worked together um, separately on a King adaptation of Desperation with Mick Garris. And I had the pleasure of listening to Mick and Mike and the panel yesterday, which was incredible. But my introduction to Mike was on Before I Wake. And, you know, you just, from the minute I began working with him, you knew he was something unique and special and visionary, much like your um, introduction, which, by the way, your introductions are the best introductions I've ever heard. The the poetic writing, I'll take you anywhere, please. (laughs) Please read that to my husband tonight. (laughs) Um... But really, that was about... How long ago was Before I Wake?
1: I think we, we shot that in 2013.
7: And it was Christmas time because we were shooting in Fairhope, Alabama, and I went on a motorcycle ride with Santa Claus, <laughs> which was cool. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that long ago, you knew... I didn't quite know the extent that it would... to the extent that it would become... that I would become a part of his family. But what an honor to begin that journey there and... Before I Wake, Haunting of Hill House, um, Midnight Mass, and Usher I've, are my participation with the wonderful Mike Flanagan.
5: And Mike, what kind of roles do you get excited about having the opportunity to put into Annabeth's hands in particular?
1: Well, Annabeth, we were talking about this earlier because uh, we were talking about Annabeth's range. Um, Annabeth has a tremendous, tremendous kind of uh, scope of ability when it comes to performing. Um, I get excited now that I've worked with her a number of times about what opportunities we can find to see her do something that I haven't seen her do before. You know, that's something that actually for, for everybody um, who I get to, who I'm lucky enough to work with more than once, I get very excited about trying to find a character that I haven't seen them inhabit, you know, so much of before. Um, Annabeth, when we did uh, Before I Wake... Um, at the end of, of your second visit to, to the set, because it was broken up into those two big pieces, um, we talked after, after the shoot, and I said, you know, I really hope that we get to work together again and again and again. Um, which is one of my favorite things about my job, is that happens to me all the time. I, I, I meet actors who I really want to see again. Um, and with Annabeth, that came true. You know, um, It's always tough because she's very busy an awful lot of the time. Annabeth is, is working quite a bit. Um, and so when these opportunities line up, it, we all kind of fall into it together. And so, yeah, uh, but I would, I would love to see her play a villain. I think that would be really, really cool, like a stone-cold evil fucking villain. I think it would be a blast. Just really mine into that.
5: Um, But yeah, I'm just happy anytime I I have to have her on set. That's extraordinary. We're so happy to see her. Henry, your entrance into Mike's world came with the Ouija origin of evil. Arguably, I would say, one of the most fun and chilling candy stores of a horror film in decades, literally. Um, talk about the initial conversations that had you jump into his world and into Father Tom.
8: Yeah, sure. I met Mike, I guess, in 2014. And I was working, you know, I've always been working, but I'd kind of, I mean, in truth, I'd kind of thought, ah, this acting thing, I don't know, let's forget it. And uh, I got this meeting and I went in and I met with Mike and I met both Mike and Michael Feminari who uh, if you don't know uh, he's the cinematographer that works with Mike Flanagan most of the time and uh, he's a great guy anyway they had this office and I walk into the office and Mike says oh this is uh, this is Michael Fiminari. uh, we're just putting together this set list, I mean, this uh, shot list. And I see they have these binders, you know, with all of these diagrams on them. And I think, well, I guess, I don't know what these guys are doing, you know? And I realized that they were building the shot list before they were building the sets. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. They've got it all lined out, they're really prepared. And I worked with Mike, and I really enjoyed working on Ouija. But Mike came up to me. At one point, we didn't know each other very well. And he says, I, I really like your acting. I, I really want to hire you on everything that I do. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Great. And he wasn't lying. And I, I was really <laughs> I was blown away by that. Um, Because, you know, I mean, I've been in the industry a long time, so you get a lot of Hollywood promises, but um, it's been great. And it's been wonderful to work not only with Mike, but with everybody that Mike gathers around him. um, And it is a family of sorts, and it's a collaboration uh, above all, and it's, it's a lot of fun as an actor. And he's given me a lot of great opportunities to be a lot of people that I normally wouldn't get a chance to to play. Yeah. So thanks, Mike.
5: <laughs> Mike, on that note, I mean, you and I are about, about the same age, about the exact same age, and my first exposure just to the magic of cinema alone was a million percent through Henry's work in E.T. It must have been that of one of yours. Um, what has that been like to be able to conjure these wonderful characters for Henry to play uh, I would imagine it would be incredibly surreal for you
1: oh it, it's absolutely surreal one of the one of the real joys of it though and you're absolutely right I grew up I grew up watching Henry as Elliot and I, I felt like I knew that boy I, I, I felt like he was my friend when I was a kid you know I identified with the character so much the real joy for me has been watching Henry completely obliterate any trace of that in my imagination <laughs> time and time again. You know, the, the, the wonderful thing from my perspective is I've seen Henry as an actor take on parts that other actors would be terrified to approach and do it fearlessly, um, do it without having any... Uh, a lot of actors will rely on popular parts from their past that exist in your imagination. Um, And Henry doesn't seem to ever let that factor into his process. He just, he dives headfirst into what the needs of this character are. He he runs the race in front of him. You know, by the time we finished, we had such a great time on Ouija. I love that you called it a candy store. That's how it felt while we made it. Um, It was just a a hoot. Um, But by the time we did Gerald's Game... And I sat in the room uh, with Henry, not for the kind of infamous bench scene, but for the conversation after that, which to me is the most scary scene of the film. Um, And I watched him do that. Um, I haven't thought about Elliot ever again. You know, Uh, I was just amazed by what Henry can do. And so the joy for me is to put him into as many different situations as I can think of that stretch and test and, and challenge what he can do. Uh, and every single time, he's hit the pitch that we've thrown over the wall. Um, so now it's just fun to come up with crazy pitches. But um, it's, it's part of the joy with with this whole group of actors. Um, I, I don't want to see them have to repeat themselves, and I don't think they want to repeat themselves. They all want to do something different and fun. And every time I think I've I've seen them kind of hit hit a fence or, or hit an edge of where I think they'll go, I've been wrong, delightfully so. So so yeah, that's that's what the experience was like for me. So.
4: There was a, there was a really good um, thought that I had because I you know thinking about uh, Henry playing father and playing father and playing father on whole different levels, and then comes Midnight Mass. And it's like, whoa, he's in a band now. He's a hippie hitchhiking.
1: <laughs> it's, I, I, I adore Henry's performance in Midnight Mass for a number of reasons. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. The part was written very much uh, taking, taking pages out of my experience of my own dad. Um, what amazes me is you look at Henry Thomas in, in that, and then you look at him in uh, The Midnight Club, and then when you see him in The Fall of the House of Usher, um, holy shit! <laughs> to, to imagine that that's the same person is, is, is amazing to me. The same is true of Annabeth Gish. You know, when I look at Mrs. Dudley, and I look at Sarah Gunning, and I cannot spoil the way you'll see her in Usher, but again, holy shit! Um, and this has been true, I, I love this with all of my actors. And you know? also, Kate Siegel. And Kate Siegel.
0: She's here too. <laughs> what?
1: Um, She's next. Part oh, of the joy, and that's not even just, you know, part of the joy of our marriage is coming up for the really, coming up with the really cool new ways that she can express herself and, 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 and kind of explore her limits as an actor. It's really, it's a, it's a real privilege for me to be able to do that. Let's 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 get to Kate. Kate. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> so bored. Kate.
5: Meeting 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 Mr. Mike Flanagan for the first time. Where yeah. was that? What was it like?
0: Well, I am the only person who could say they answered they entered the Flanagan family in a sexual way. <laughs> <laughs> wow yep it's a real lilith story (laughs) kate shows up burns everything down inserts herself in mike's life and the rest is history um no we met what had happened um was a friend of mine asked me if i had seen absentia and i was like of course i haven't seen absentia what is this it's like a ten thousand dollar movie about a scary tunnel it's a piece of crap and they're like, no, 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 no! Watch the movie, and I was like, you watch the movie, and they're like, fine. Let's put it on right now. This is a great. This is going great. And so we watched it, and I, I was blown away, as I can imagine all of you were. What he was able to do with, like almost the bare minimum of filmmaking equipment and funds and all of that, just by the force of his will and imagination, and. Um, So I invited him to come see this play I was doing, he saw the play, he was very nice to me afterwards, and you know, as what seems to be a theme in the Mike Flanagan meeting actors things, he's like, I'd really love to work with you. And I was like, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And I had read a script that he wrote called Scared Airs, and it was fantastic, and I was a huge fan. And I got a call one week, and oh my god, how far am I going to go into this story?
1: Not much further.
0: Okay. <laughs> and then I ended up on Oculus, and the rest is Flanniverse history.
5: <laughs> Yay! So, whether, whether it is Theo Crane or Aaron at Midnight Mass, you have built many moments that have become mantras. Uh, you've brought meaning and eloquence to words, that have resonated and reflected so deeply and perfectly with people that they jump off the screen and become tattooed on our lips forever. Can you describe not only the evolution of the storyteller you are now, but the person you've become through the adventure of this collaboration?
0: What? (laughs) Yes, I can, as a matter of fact, in song. (laughs) No. um, i think what happened was when i met mike flanagan he was the first person in my life who had the combination of i see you and i like it there was a lot of people who either just didn't see me in my life because i represented something to them or they liked me but like if you were a little less dramatic you'd be perfect or if you weren't so occasionally sad, you would be perfect. And I'm just really here for your potential. And so I always felt like I was failing myself and the people I love. And so my self-esteem was super low. I didn't know what I was going to do with my desire to be an actress because like, I couldn't even book commercials. And something about meeting somebody who I respected so much who who really gave me that hot injection of you're enough (laughs) chaos king Um, and so that it didn't cure me of my sadness or self-loathing or weirdness or (laughs) any of that But what it did was it gave me um, a, a, a space to share it. And the more I shared that, that like, oh, God, I don't always like myself. Or I'm scared that other people won't get me or like me. Or I don't feel normal in the world. More people were like, yes, me too. And they agreed. And so, like, starting with Maddie and Hush or starting with Theo Crane, it just gave me a specific type of self-esteem that allowed me to share the fact that I don't often feel like I fit into the world.
4: Kate, since you, since you mentioned Hush, I'm really curious, uh, when you and Mike were writing Hush, and uh, in the movie we see that you had published the book, Midnight Mass, now was there ever, ever any idea that somehow you'd cohesively tie in the movie Hush into the movie Midnight Mass, where your character perhaps is still alive, is the lone survivor of Crockett Island, and has assumed the new name.
0: I mean, there is now.
4: (laughs) Yes! Um,
0: No, Midnight Mass was, at the time, Mike had almost given up on it, right? You called it the best story no one will ever see that you had written?
1: Yeah, by that point, I'd I'd been working on it for five years. So Kate was very familiar with it and had read it in a number of its incarnations. And I had pretty much figured it was over uh, by the time we were making that. But I do like the
0: idea that... Like, okay, I'm with you. Let's imagine that Anara's character is pregnant with Maddie.
2: Ooh. Who
0: then also, isn't she also, wait, she's Jesse's sister. That's not going to (laughs) work. This is why I just say what other people write or write things for me to star in. Or Annabeth to star in. Maybe Henry to star in. Thank you all for coming to my TED Talk. I think we have everything we need here.
5: Mike, what is it about seeing the world through Kate's eyes that inspires you?
7: <laughs>
1: I'm having a hard time seeing the world through Kate's eyes. Oh, I, get it, I get it. You just okay. you
7: have to follow it up with something about a hot injection. Oh, for sure. Jesus
1: Christ. Um, so Kate has this Chaos Kate thing where she, she's like, oh, we're doing a Q&A. Chaos Kate will be there. So this is what she's talking about. So, um, but yeah. I feel
0: very uncomfortable in these moments, and this is what it looks like.
1: Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it's been a really fascinating thing because our lives became something that we shared both at work and at home. Um, and we've now collaborated on movies and TV shows, but on children, too, you know. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's seeing the world through Kate's eyes is, is part of the most exciting element of my life. It's a privilege to be able to do that, you know, for, that's for all of us that are in love with someone, you know, seeing the world through their eyes, I hope, is, is kind of one of the best things we have to look forward to, isn't it? So.
0: Mike what are the dynamics of the writer's room just from someone that doesn't I haven't worked in film how does that work
1: writer's rooms are weird um, I didn't know really what they were like either because all of my movies I wrote uh, uh, with, with one other writer or by myself um, but a room full of writers getting together to talk about a story That's, uh, the first time I bumped into that was Hill House And um, it was my first TV show. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, It was already weird enough that I had said I wanted to direct all of it, which my executives were like, oh, really? Um, Because I didn't know any better. You know, now I do. But uh, they were like, well, how about your writer's room? And I was like, well, I guess we'll have to find writers and put them in a room physically together and discuss it. And um, the dynamic is different in every room I've had. Um, it's, a, it's a strange creative experiment whenever you have a writer's room. It's like having any group of creatives together. Um, you have to figure out a rhythm that works for everyone so that they can express their ideas. You all have to be kind of rowing in the same direction and making the same show. That's a really challenging thing. Sometimes it works better than other times. Um, but, yeah, the dynamics are very strange and i 've had writers rooms that were electric and harmonious where incredible ideas just came roaring up out of the conference room every day and i 've had writers rooms that felt like we were all going to the dentist together. you know um, It kind of runs the gamut, uh, but some of the some of the greatest Things that you know that are in these shows came out of an offhanded comment that a writer had around the table. Um, there's a, one of my favorite stories of that. Uh, we had a writer who I had hired um, because I'd read her blogs on No Sleep. uh named C.K. Walker. We wrote. Uh, Any of you guys familiar with Baraska, uh, which is a really great creepy pasta that she did? Um, she was working, I think, selling insurance uh, in the Midwest, and. I said, well, if we're hiring writers for this show, The Honey Pill House, she's a great writer. And they were like, well, she, has she ever worked on a movie or TV? And I was like, no, but her, her Reddit blogs are awesome. <laughs> and we hired her. We, and we brought her out to L.A. And she came in. And her first day at the table, she was like, guys, this might be a crazy idea. Uh, but, and the idea she pitched was the concept of the Red Room. Um, day one. And so... Things like that can happen. you know. I'd been thinking about that show for years, and had nothing like that had ever occurred to me. Um, so sometimes some of the most iconic and kind of defining elements of it just come from, uh, from someone sitting at a table, uh, in this case, her first job writing professionally, and she just put it up there and sat back, and it changed the whole show.
4: The Boo Crew
2: will be right back introducing Hasbro's Ouija is
6: that the one where you talk to ghosts it's actually pretty fun is there a spirit here oh my
2: god there are only three simple rules never play alone
6: spirit can
7: you hear me
2: never play in a graveyard
7: we
6: played in a graveyard
2: and always say goodbye
6: good night Romeo
2: With Ouija, you'll make new friends. Hi, friend. Connect with the others. Experience the unknown. And with a little practice.
8: Look, Mom, no hands. You'll
2: be an expert in no time. It's fun for the whole family. (laughs) When's the best time to play Ouija? Always.
4: (laughs) That tickled.
2: Hasbro's Ouija.
5: And on that note about kind of opening up the creative process and inviting other people in, not just actors and performers, but writer-directors, we have Axel Carolyn, who was a big part of uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Writer's Room. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, she came into the, the Flanniverse and uh, you know, took on an episode, as we say, of Haunting a blind Manor and then two of Midnight Club, uh, two incredible episodes of Midnight Club. Axel, what are the challenges of coming into a creative uh, fold like this and maintaining Mike's brand but also getting a chance to kind of instill your own voice into these
4: projects?
6: Well, it's very different on every project and the thing that's very different working for Mike from like different from other TV shows in my experience is that Mike... Picks people he believes in, and then he lets them do what they feel is right. And in a lot of shows, you have people kind of checking every decision and making sure everything is in keeping with what they have in mind. And Mike, um, on *Blind Hanner, I remember we had maybe two meetings in pre-production, and both times I pitched you Bunker's ideas, and both times you were like, oh great, go for it, I like your ideas, this is great. And it just felt very freeing, and I felt like I had a lot of, um, I had his trust, and I had his support, and it felt very empowering, and it made me feel really confident going on set, which helps immensely, because your job is all about instinct and confidence, and if you don't have that, you can't do it. So he's, it's very empowering, and it felt, um, very personal as well. Like, the script that I was handed was so beautiful. And I was so lucky also that it was almost a separate piece. It's almost like its own little feature. It's black and white. It's 17th century, so it doesn't look anything like the others. The costumes are different. The cast was different. Kate was playing the lead. I mean, I could not have been luckier in what I'd been handed. And, um, yeah, we had 10 days to shoot it. And it was one of the best experiences. And I can't explain how. I guess it's a because you picked the right people for the right job, I guess. But it's so close to my sensibilities that I feel it's the most personal thing I've done, even though I haven't written it. And it's also completely Mike's. So it's, um, I don't know, it's it's one of the things for sure that I've done that I'm the proudest of. And another one that I'm one of the proudest of for sure, it's uh, Anya's episode in Midnight Club, episode seven of Midnight Club, Anya's, you know, um, final scenes and, and that was wonderful. That also felt like a complete gift to be handed that episode that's so emotional and again so close to my taste and I love working with actors. I love working on drama. I love, you know, very emotional scenes and that just made everything come together. They were all, both uh, episodes also had this thing where they had different levels of realities that we had to explain. So I spent a lot of time on every meeting saying, no, 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 she's, she's in the chest but actually she died on her bed but the chest... So she dreams that she's in a bedroom, but the bedroom's in the chest, but the chest is in the water. So she comes <laughs> out of the water, not out of the room. So there's a lot of things to you know, kind of wrap my head around. But um, yeah, long answer short, it just feels like, again, you pair the right material with the right people and then we can make it our own and feel very personal about them. But it is also true that Axel's like, she's a visionary. And when
0: Mike, when Mike smells that in the world, he loves it because the point of view thinking of like if you can imagine the pressure that it must have felt to walk into the sequel of Hill House and be handed the episode with the director's wife (laughs) like that's a lot of pressure and I would say that like 70% of directors would play that safe and 30% of
6: directors would maybe lose their minds And you did neither, I I hope. I do remember the first time you walked into my office and it was the first time I met Kate. And I just met Katie Parker, who walked in and gave me a big hug and was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to meet you. And then Kate walks in, same thing, big hug, but then she gave me that look like, so you're doing this, huh?
0: I did not like I wasn't going to let you off the hook like we went in that like through and through we would curl up in bed together and you would explain to me and show me your not like um, like in that way it's not another injection in any way this was on set I was in a bed on set because of, of being very sick as a person character not a person pre-pandemic. Anyway, she had these images, these beautiful images for both Viola and Perdita and just talking about that and talking about old monsters and letting me be monstrous and that transition from being like this iconic woman holding that space into a monster and like never having to make a stop in like princess land, which I was so grateful for that I never had to pretend that she was anything other than strong, even when she was sad, even when she was vulnerable, like the truth of Viola was she was determined. And there are women like that who never really like go into, ah,
6: you know what I mean when I say, ha." Ah. And you also, sorry, I don't want yeah, to hog the pulp, thing. but um, you also really empowered me to do what I wanted to do with it, because there's a lot of actors. We put some wide angle lenses on your face that were not you know, the oh my god! Prettiest.
0: The yelling I did with that low camera—I will never forgive you. I still will never forgive you. But you she saw it. You saw it, bed. and you were like, "Okay, <laughs> great." I was like, "All right," and I'm like secretly texting Mike, like, "She's gotta go. You can't do this." And he's like, "Kate," hey. but it was—you were right because it—it was the right image for the right moment. And I'm, I hope you're not still.
6: <laughs> you know, keeping those screen grabs. Like, no. I don't know, Carolyn. No, no,
0: no. No, I love but yeah, you. But you let me you know do it. You. And it was
6: wonderful. There's a lot of actors who wouldn't.
0: <laughs> I'll do it for you anytime. Mm. Always urge you. Well,
5: Annabeth, oh. you are a master at nuance and subtlety. Um, a lot of, on your shoulders, I find, um, a lot of the misdirection, and the many mysteries in, uh, in the episodes and shows that you've been a part of, um, a lot of that magic happens because of that alchemy that you bring to these characters. Mrs. Dudley and Hill House, Dr. Sarah Gunning uh, are terrific examples of this. What is your process of navigating that storm as a storyteller when it comes to dealing with fantastical things?
7: I just want to take you everywhere with me. I really do. I, you're, I'm just enamored. Um, gosh, you know, so much a part of the creative process. I think is is what's on the page. It begins there, and then it extends to the confidence and the space you're given by your director and your co-workers, your fellow artists, and the alchemy of what happens when, when all of that, when, when you feel, it's just like family, and uh, we all know it when it's relationships or something that's in flow or something that feels safe, where you can either be yourself or go beyond yourself, so that magic comes out, and I think... Um, you know, Mike, you've done such a go- an amazing job of giving us all, making us feel safe, even in places that we, where we haven't gone before, you know? Um, and I think, you know, I, I usually err on the side of simplicity and subtlety. I'm not a big, big performer ever. Um... Unless, I don't know, maybe I will become one. (laughs) I don't know. But I, but, yeah, be careful what you say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But I think whether it's Mrs. Dudley or whether it's Dr. Gunning, there's something I I really like to have it grounded and honest, and anything that doesn't feel honest to me. you know, I know it in a minute, and so does Mike, and so does Kate, as my scene partner in Midnight Mass. You know, if something feels fake, you just don't go on. You know, I don't like. You know it. Um, un- uncomfortable is one thing, but fake is another. So, um, I think Mike really breeds that
0: that safety to go to go into that world.
5: Can we talk about that scene with you and Kate when she finds out at the beginning of episode four? Yeah.
0: Will you say the name of the disease, Anabath? Something protoprof- protoprophilia. Protoprophilia. <laughs>
7: I think I blocked it out of my mind.
0: What was amazing is that a puffy? I think it was edited out. Didn't that part get edited out? Oh. Or it wasn't on her face when she says that. It wasn't on my fucking face.
7: <laughs> I spent words.
0: Somebody can google it right now. I'm like
7: I know Ignaz Semmelweis and my I don't know, maybe I have Alzheimer's, but I or
0: I did block it out. It's do you remember it, Mike?
1: I don't remember it either. <laughs> okay, good,
0: good, good. <laughs> but it's, so for it's... years, Michael Trucco, like old school Flavenger, he talks about this secret he used when he has a lot of jargon, which is when it happens, if you're saying a word like propophilia, if you guys are the camera, you do it da 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 so that you can dub it in on voiceover later, but Mike refuses to let us do ADR. Yeah. And so the joke we're making here is she was on camera saying it so many times, but in the actual show, it could have been just put in oh, after the fact. it wasn't even on my face when
7: I'm saying this monster medical term, and I remember I was like, God damn it. No, I'm kidding.
1: We, we played it in a high-wide... <laughs> <laughs> to establish the room.
0: Gross. But what about us, Michael? <laughs> what no. about us? Did you did you have a question?
6: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but that is that is my favorite character from uh Midnight Mass because Dr. Doctor Sarah Gunning, she is the one that pieces together you know, that, hey, there's something going on with the blood, EPP, you know, exposure to sunlight, and and she unravels the mystery of Crockett Island, so to me, she's the unsung hero. I'll take you with me, too.
7: (laughs) You guys are my favorite.
5: (laughs) Henry, I mean, we've talked a little about, you know, your different,
3: your wildly
5: different roles that you've taken throughout uh, all of Mike's work, Uh, whether that's achieving so much nuance through mounds of prosthetics, even, and drastically changing your character, taking on Jack Torrance, uh, you know, taking on a, a hitchhiking rocker. Perhaps, and it was mentioned earlier before, one of the most daring transformations, um, and definitely one that had us breathless, was, it was mentioned in, uh, in Gerald's game, with the fantastic Kiara Aurelia, alongside you as your scene partner extraordinarily tough scene to watch. I can only imagine it was even tougher to bring to life. And I was wondering if you could just talk briefly about that experience of trauma and finding that darkness um, as a character and what Mike did on set to make you feel safe enough to take yourself there. Uh, Sure, yeah. uh, (laughs) The character of Tom in
8: in Gerald's game is a particularly despicable uh, and I liked it from an artist's perspective of looking at it as a challenge but when I actually got my boots on the ground as they say and I had to do the scene and I started thinking oh this this girl is 14 years old who's playing this role and I have to As an actor in the scene, I have to sexualize her at some point in order to make this performance convincing. And uh, I'd never really had to do anything like that before in terms of drastically taking myself out of something and putting someone else in my place. right and as an actor that's what you do but i had never been confronted with it quite so uh, harshly i suppose right because it's all well and good to say yeah I'll, I'll do the part sure um and i'll be there but you know you get there and you realize and and all credit to her she was fantastic in the scene um as a young actress taking on that very brave uh, role of someone who's abused by someone that they trust very deeply, Um, you know, it's it's heartbreaking. So you do these bits as an actor and you walk away and you kind of say, okay, I'm done with that bit. I hope it's good. Now I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna leave the work at work and I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna do whatever I do, whatever that is, right? Very difficult to do with this. So, uh, it, it I, I took the wrong way of dealing with it and I just, after we wrapped, I went out and I drank myself into a stupor and fell over and hit my head on the nightstand uh, at about two o'clock in the morning and then I had like a bruised eye for my next couple of days of work, um, what this taught me was uh, not to solve my problems with alcohol, but also
0: um,
8: is that you know you have to pay attention to uh, what 's in here a lot as an actor right because that 's what you 're putting out there, but also you can be affected by those things, so you have to be very careful. Uh, it's not something that I would jump into doing again, like playing a role like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the work and I like the piece and I think it's very important. It's a great scene. It's a great couple of scenes. But I, I don't want to go back there. Yeah.
7: But to your credit though, Henry, you make it, it's, it's human and watchable in an unwatchable you know what i mean so to that amount of humanity that you invested in it and the torture of it makes it watchable
8: indeed yeah and i'm i'm proud of it for that and, and I, I really liked the performance but um but i like i felt gross i felt gross for like weeks
5: afterward i i feel gross thinking about it right now yeah well on a lighter note midnight club freedom jack an amazing oh. character to see you play. <laughs> nice. And what a, what a great scene of dialogue, too, between you and Alex Esso in the back of that car. Yeah, all yeah. rapid fire. It all had to do with rhythm. It was immaculately done, hanging on every word. How was that to shoot? That seems like it would be extraordinarily fun. And really, kind of a lot of choreography going on there.
8: Yeah, there was a, there was a lot to it. We were filming it all like in a car with a green screen around. So we were doing everything at once. So it was kind of like a one-act play um, in that sense. But Alex is fantastic. Uh, by the way, uh, Alex w- would have been here, but it's my fault that she's not here. So I apologize that you didn't get a chance to talk to her because he she she's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sent her away. No, um, we're, we're actually uh, a couple and she is taking our kids back to Los Angeles uh, for school tomorrow, so. Apologies. My fault.
7: She's also incredible in person, just as incredible in person as she is on screen.
5: Kate, all your performances are absolutely stunning.
0: Thank you. Uh, The
5: way that you surf the rhythm of their poetry, whether you... Find out where to put a tear, elevate a word with a glance, a pause, a body movement. They ignite these characters. For your process, what is the relationship between preparation and intuition? And are there moments where your intuition surprised you in the final take?
0: Yeah, I think that um, after I graduated from college, where I studied acting, I spent a lot of time unlearning all of that because. It took me a while to figure out what people meant when they said you're better than your best idea. So when you're confronted with a scene you really like or a monologue that is beautifully written, any creative person will read it and think like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I cried here? And the danger there is if you start building it like that, that's what people will see. The best case scenario is that they see that you're an incredible builder. Right? that, oh, it's, aren't her choices so fun? But you won't get that beautiful thing that Henry was just talking about and Annabeth was talking about, which is the human, right? You're not creating a person, you're creating a beautiful sculpture. And that can work, and it does work for a lot of actors. And there are, in my performance, I see when I go in and out of sculpture or human, which I like to think of it that way. But for me, the solution is always paring away stop doing things that I have thought about doing and just breathe. Take the time to breathe, slow it down a little bit for me. I always have the instinct to rush and like I love to play. And so I'm so excited to be on set. I'm so excited to be doing a scene with Henry or with Annabeth that I'm like, oh we're here and we're doing the thing and but I have got to listen to the part of me that is human that maybe needs a little bit more time to bleed. I had a director, a theater director once tell me that I was at my most interesting when it was like somebody had cut me and I just stood there and let myself bleed. And I, Because you can't really force the blood out of your body, but it's very riveting. And so Mike does a lot of that with me too. He used to come up with, um, come up to me with Aaron and just remind me that Aaron works in small moves. Because I was watching um, Hamish give this incredible performance, operatic performance, and I was so jealous. I was like, I wanna stretch my wings. I wanna do a homily. I wanna scream. I wanna say, We sing! and have a whole room full of people just bereft at my beauty. But that wasn't Aaron. We needed Aaron to be her part in her, in the orchestra. And I had a really hard time with that. Erin's one of my favorites because she is tiny moves. And so for me, a lot of my preparation to eventually long-windedly answer this question is giving my brain other things to do. So for example, when I'm doing that long walk and talk with Riley after church, my brain wanted to plan all this stuff. And so I gave it this thought. What if Erin is worried that her breath stinks? And so it's very actable, right? Because you know how you would talk to someone if you're worried that you have stinky breath and you like them. And that gives my brain a whole thing to do without influencing the humanity.
5: Beautifully said.
1: Thank
0: you, I agree.
5: Well, the time is running out, unfortunately, as we can go on and on. And
0: uh, I really can, and we'll go on. Th-
5: one thing I wanted to mention, though, is there's also the scores of members of the extended FlanaFam that aren't up on this stage. Uh, uh, Samantha Sloyan, Katie Parker, Raul Coley, Michael Truco, Matt Naming Amy Bedell, Hamish Linklater, the list goes on. The Newton Brothers, who are responsible for the unique sound of, of the Flaniverse and all of these wonderful projects. There's so many people that are a part of this Trevor Macy, the producer, so many people that are a part of this extended creative family. It's just extraordinary and so exciting. And uh, we're we're always on the edge of our seat wondering what's coming next. That said, segue there. we've got some extraordinary news about the future of the Flanniverse, and there's a new partnership with Amazon that has also been announced. Mike, what can you tell us about the future of the Flanniverse, the projects that are currently on deck, what's the first we'll probably be able to see, and, and what we're, this new partnership means?
7: We're listening.
0: <laughs> we're listening, We're moving into print media. <laughs> Newspapers. Uh, oh.
5: The wave of the future.
1: Um, so a lot of that we're still figuring out, but uh, you know, the, the big headline this week for us as a company uh, is that we're embarking on a new overall deal at Amazon. Um, So we'll be working with Amazon Studios for the next few years, doing all of our television work there. Um, We don't really know yet what that means, what what our first thing with them is going to be. Um, But that's fine for now, because our efforts have been really focused on finishing the fall of the House of Usher uh, for Netflix. Um, Now, that show... We didn't know, you know when we were filming it that that would kind of be the end of the intrepid Netflix era, you know? Um, but it very much will feel like it, too, because it pulls kind of all of uh, Or not all, because not everyone made it in, but so many of the great actors from The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Blind Manor, Midnight Mass, and The Midnight Club, all together into one show. So from a from kind of the repertory company point of view, this is our biggest cast. It, it really kind of pulls from all of, uh, all of the other stuff that came before it, and in many ways feels like a really big bow kind of for all of that work that we've been doing together for the last half decade. Um, it's very cool. I've been saying, because I can't tell with these things. Whenever we finish them, I just feel nauseous for six months, and then they come out, and I'm like, what do you think? So um, I can tell you, though, that uh, Kate, who is a barometer in a, in a major way for how I think these things go over, watched the whole series and told me she thinks it's her favorite of everything that we've done. Wow. Um, so...
0: You guys, you have no—it's just like you have no idea. You just this—just remember this cute little face. <laughs> just no. Just, Oi. Oh,
1: um, but Usher is is wild, and it brings back some people that you know had kind of uh, like Bruce Greenwood is headlining it from Gerald's Game. It's his first time back with us since then. Mark Hamill is in the show. Uh, it's his first time with us. Um, and Mark was just a just wonderful, and and it's got. Um, it's got a lot going on. So I, I'm really excited for you guys to see that. I wish I could tell you when it'll be out. I have no idea. <laughs> but it'll be next year on Netflix. Uh, and then beyond that, we don't know, but I'm so excited. You know, as we get into, into our new life at Amazon, we'll find out really fast what their priorities are. I'll tell you one thing, though, for sure. Um, one of the things, it's, we've made five shows in five years um, together. Uh, that's a lot and the footprint that these shows take out of our lives is huge and for these actors too who are brought away from their families especially when we were shooting during the pandemic um, these things can be an enormous, enormous endeavor that they undertake Um, one of the things that I've been very hungry to do not only for them but for myself and for my family um, is to get back into movie theaters and to get back to feature films, get back to a project we can come together on, shoot quickly, or well, relatively quickly, they're not fast either, but something that's contained, something we can really have fun with, that we can put up on the big screen for the theatrical experience, which is an experience I think we all have to protect and support as the world becomes more digital.
4: So, Mike, uh, looking forward, uh, I think the million-dollar question that everybody wants to know is, with this Amazon deal, will we finally be able to get DVD releases of your movies going forward?
1: So, Amazon releases a lot of their stuff on physical media, Woo! which is awesome. And uh, I've been trying and trying and trying for years uh, to, to talk Netflix into releasing the Netflix originals, um, I think those conversations have actually advanced from where they started. I, my whole plan with it was to just take a page out of Andy Dufresne's book in Shawshank and send them a letter once a week until it happened. Um, and I've been doing that. Uh, you know, Those shows stay with Netflix. Netflix owns them forever. Um, So it'll be entirely up to them if they want to release them. I will tell you, though, when the conversation started happening and they said, hey, talk to us more about what that would look like, one of the things they said was they had noticed the reaction on Twitter um, from people who were talking about wanting to see those titles on Blu-ray and DVD. So if you all tag Netflix and say, I would really like to see Midnight Mass, The Midnight Club, Gerald's Game, or Hush on Blu-ray or DVD, they are noticing. Uh, I hope that that happens. But I think for all the new stuff we do at Amazon, I am very confident that those will be available on physical media.
0: I think the first thing should be Kate in space. Kate in space. Let's talk about that for a second. Now, what I do want to say before we go is that this is one of the most thoughtful and well-curated panels we've ever done. And if you guys like this interview, please subscribe to the Boo Crew podcast because Absolutely. all of their interviews wow, are this beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Aww. We love them. We give them a lot of like great information. I always enjoy listening to them in traffic. Like They're very, very great at what they do. So thank you, guys.
5: Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, so sweet. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for coming to see this. And thank you, Mike and Kate and Henry and Axel and Annabeth. This has been uh, amazing, you guys. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 366. Special thanks to everyone who participated in the Flaniverse panel. Mike Flanagan, Kate Siegel, Annabeth Gish, Henry Thomas, and Axel Carolyn. Thanks to David Markland and Rick West for making the entire thing possible and for their extraordinary events, Midsummer Scream and Season Screamings. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, this is Trevor. And on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, it is the Boot Crew saying, Sweet Screams.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of The Boo Crew Podcast Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram Follow us on Twitter At TalesFromTheBoo The Boo Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand And Leone D'Antonio The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand The Boo Crew is a TSP creation Part of the Bloody Disc